Well, good morning to you all. We're going to begin by reading from Luke's Gospel, and this is Luke chapter 18. And as we read uh, the beginning of Luke 18, uh, we're reading up to verse 14. Uh, you'll see that we're going to read two parables, and uh, Ian has already kindly introduced the topic of prayer, uh, and both these parables are very much about prayer, and that's what we're going to be thinking about in a moment. So, Luke chapter 18. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that, that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town... There was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith on earth? To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody, everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I wonder, do you ever feel challenged by your own need to improve at prayer? I know, other, I, know I do. And uh, I also know I'm in good company and one of the people I like to read quotations from is that great Victorian preacher, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And he had a lot to say about prayer. So uh, a couple of quotes from him. Um, he said this. He said, I usually feel most dissatisfied with my prayer than with anything else I do. And uh, he also made a couple of challenging statements as well in thinking about prayer. He said, I know of no better thermometer to your spiritual temperature than this. 
the measure of the intensity of your prayers. Uh, And then he also made quite an alarming statement. He said, um, neglect of private prayer is the locust which devours the strength of the church. So some real challenges there from uh, good old C.H. Spurgeon. But what about these two parables that we read from Luke's Gospel? Each contains a serious message about prayer, and each conveys a particular challenge concerning our prayer lives. And I pray this morning that our Heavenly Father may be most gracious to us and expose and open up this vital teaching on prayer, that we might be challenged and encouraged uh, to see the essence uh, that is contained herein. But let's then begin with the parable of the widow and the judge. And let's notice the setting for this particular parable. Uh, On this particular occasion, uh, Jesus is addressing his disciples. And if we went went back into the end of uh, chapter 17, we'd we'd read this. Uh, Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will no longer see one of the... Sorry, when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man but you will not see it. So we know that this parable in particular is given to the disciples for when Jesus will no longer be with them in person. He's preparing the disciples for difficult times ahead when their faith will be severely tested. This is the context of this particular parable. And so for you and me, Jesus is preparing us for difficult times. Difficult times we perhaps already experience today, but also difficult times that we may have to experience in the future. Now Jesus had chosen the characters of both of our parables most carefully, and I think it's helpful to consider the symbolism behind these characters, and in our first parable, that's the widow and the judge. Now, if we delve into the Old Testament, there are many passages which give us understanding of the position and role of the judge. And an example I'm going to show you is one taken from the second book of Chronicles, where we read instruction given to the judges by King Jehoshaphat. And he says this. He says, consider carefully what you do. Because you are not judging for man, but for the Lord, who is with you wherever you give a verdict. Now let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Judge carefully, for with the Lord our God there is no injustice or partiality or bribery. And there are other places which say similar things. So the judge was meant to be a person who judged for the Lord. And yet despite this, we also see many passages in the Old Testament where we see the judges doing the exact opposite. There was great corruption amongst the judges of the days of Jesus and the preceding days. And again, um, a short word from the prophet Amos who um, said this about judges. He said, you oppress the righteous and take bribes and you deprive the poor of justice in the courts. And it's that last phrase which I think is particularly important to our reading this morning. Um, You deprive the poor of justice in the courts. 
Indeed, the judges of the New Testament times were so corrupt that they were given a popular nickname. People used to refer to judges in the times of Jesus as Deini Gezeloth, if I've said the pronunciation right, which translating into our language means thieving judge, thieving judge. And so this is the judge that we meet in this parable of Jesus. And we discover that he is in direct contradiction to that direction given all those years earlier by King Jehoshaphat. Because Jesus tells us that there was a certain judge, sorry, there was a certain town where there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And actually a better translation than the one we have in the NIV is this. Rather than that he didn't care about what people thought, there is an element here of he was not ashamed before men. He was not ashamed before men. And to understand the impact of this on the disciples who were listening to Jesus, we have to understand a little bit about Middle Eastern culture and the fact that it was very much a shame-pride culture. Um, In the West, we might say to a naughty child, uh, Tommy, what you have done is wrong. A Middle Eastern parent would rather say, Tommy, what you've done is shameful. Do you see the subtle difference? And therefore, one of the sharpest criticisms possible that you could make against an adult in Middle Eastern culture is to say that they felt no shame for what they did. Uh, And I'm trying to emphasize here the character of this judge in this parable. Uh, He doesn't feel shame for what he does, and uh, he's not ashamed before men. Indeed, nothing will shame him. Uh, There's no spark of honor left in his soul to which anyone can appeal. Um, And in this parable, we see that he is hurting a destitute widow. He's refusing her justice. Now, he should feel ashamed at his detestable attitude. And despite the whole world saying, shame on you, it hasn't made a scrap of difference with this judge. Uh, No accusation of shame has any effect upon him. But also Jesus tells us that not only did he feel shame before men, but he also had no fear of God. And even the appeal, therefore, of, for God's sake, help this widow, in the correct way of using that phrase, for God's sake, help this widow, would have no impact on him whatsoever. Such was his corruption. Indeed, the only way that we're told that you could possibly influence this man was through bribery. This is the judge to whom this widow comes in the parable. So why did Jesus then choose the widow as the victim? What is special about widows in Old Testament teaching and why would that feature particularly Uh, in the thinking of the disciples. Well, in the Old Testament, the widow is a typical symbol of the innocent, of the powerless, and of the oppressed. And uh, the prophet Isaiah teaches God's people the following. Um, uh, Isaiah said this, he said, "'Take the evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong.'" learn to do right, seek justice, encourage the oppressed, defend the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. 
These are instructions from God through Isaiah to his people. Plead the case of the widow. And so, in a very real sense, this widow under Jewish law had legal rights. But in this parable, those rights are being violated. Justice is being denied. But there's actually another element to this that we have to try and, again, dig into this parable to understand it. The widow is too weak to compel the judge, and she's too poor to bribe the judge. But her situation is particularly desperate because normally women in the Middle East do not go to court themselves for justice. And therefore her very presence before a judge informs us that it's very likely that she has nobody else in the world. She's utterly alone. She has no brother, she has no male family member to represent her in court. She's entirely alone and therefore she has herself to go before the judge. And I hope now, when we've unpacked those two characters, you can see the extreme contrast in personality that Jesus has deliberately chosen for us in these two characters in this parable. There's an overwhelming contrast between the complete power and and corruption of this ruthless judge on the one hand and the utter destitution of this poor widow on the other. And we read on, but we discover a shocking twist to the tale. And this is so often what happens in parables. Um, There is a familiar scene and then Jesus turns it upside down. And that's what happens here. We discover that despite repeated refusal from the judge to address the widow's plea for justice, eventually the judge gives in and gives the widow exactly what she needs. He gives her the justice that she's come for. Uh, For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. Now again, we've lost some of the impact of this statement in our modern translation. That phrase, to wear me out, actually comes from a Greek word which literally translated means a boxing blow under the eye. A boxing blow under the eye. We've lost that, haven't we, in the translation. And so I thought what I would try and do is put this into modern Lancastrian language to try and explain what's happening here. And I would say that we retranslated as following. Uh, the judge says, I will see she gets justice because of her constant mithering. It's doing my head in. Okay? That's the essence of what we have in this parable. But you know, the message is actually very simple, but it's incredibly profound. And remember what Jesus said right at the opening verse. Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and never give up. Jesus is saying here that God's people are to persevere in prayer. You and I are the widow. But we've already thought about the tremendous contrast between the widow and judge. But do you get that there's actually another contrast here, which is even greater? 
Because whereas the widow had to approach and contend with the corrupt judge who neither feared God nor cared about men, we approach our Heavenly Father, of whom the psalmist has written, the one who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. And so the point Jesus is really making here is, yes, there is a massive contrast between the widow and the judge in terms of their social status and power, but there is an even greater and deeper contrast between the attitude we might expect from the corrupt judge and the attitude our Heavenly Father has to his children who cry out to him in prayer. You see, in this parable, God is all that that judge wasn't, and even more besides. And therefore, as we read this parable and as we understand the profound contrasts that Jesus was trying to convey to us, then it should give us great encouragement to pray and to be told that our Father in heaven will indeed bring about justice and quickly for those he loves. And that's for you and for me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And so we have this amazing promise that God will hear us when we pray and will bring about justice. And this surely is huge encouragement to us to be persistent in prayer. And sometimes I think it's helpful when we consider God described as our Heavenly Father just to go back a moment and think about the human equivalent. Which one of you as a parent has never been um, anything other than compelled by the persistent child? Your child comes to you tugging and saying, Daddy, Daddy, will you do this for me? Or can you help me? And isn't it a joy as a parent to address that child's need? Well, in a sense, this parable is also t- reminding us that we are addressing our Heavenly Father. And in our persistence, we can, if you like, tug at his coat and say, Our Father in Heaven, Abba, help me. So are you and I persistent in our prayers? This is the challenge bit, I suppose. When that fellow Christian plucks up the courage to ask you to pray for them, do you do it? Well, I'm sure we do. But are we persistent with that prayer? Is it a prayer that we just speak once and then forget about it? Or do we continue in prayer for that person? If we agree to pray for each other's needs, then let's do so and let's be widow-like in our praying. And I wonder, is there a person in your life that you've been praying for for maybe 10 or 20 years? Perhaps for the conversion of a husband or wife, the conversion of a brother or sister, for a son or daughter or a parent. I suspect we all have an example such as that in our own lives and in our families and in our prayers. And maybe you feel almost that 
It's beyond hope. You've been praying for 20, 30 years and nothing has happened. Well, I would draw you back to this parable. All things are done in God's time anyway. But we have this wonderful promise that we should be persistent before our Heavenly Father. We should remember the parable of the widow and be really encouraged and not give up. But also we should be encouraged to remember that prayer is for each one of us. It's for all believers. It's not about the eloquent words that we put together. It's more about our willingness to pray and our persistence to never give up. So when we pray for the work of this church here in Lum, let us be like the widow. For you know, without prayer, preaching is barren. Without prayer, worship is hollow. Without prayer, our our outreach, our work amongst young people, our work amongst the elderly will be ineffective. Indeed, without prayer the church becomes dead. Somebody once said that prayer is the great breath of our faith. Let us be widow-like in our praying. Let's move on to the second parable. And this is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And on this occasion, Jesus is addressing the crowd and he's particularly addressing to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. And again, we see an extreme contrast. Jesus really is master of contrast, and that's what he's using again here. On the one hand, we have the Pharisee, the respectable, the self-important, the regular temple-goer, the regular giver to the temple, and in direct contrast, we have the tax collector, the cheat the outcast from decent society, the lowest of the low in terms of moral standing. And we notice that even the Pharisee in his prayer puts the tax collector right at the bottom, even below the adulterer. This setting is a place of open prayer in a public worship service. And what we notice is that the Pharisee stands apart from the crowd, not even wanting to be touched by the garments of the common worshippers, just in case their garments should accidentally brush against him and, and render him ritually unclean. He's a bit of a snob, isn't he, this guy? But the tax collector, he doesn't mingle with the crowd either. He stands apart. But for him, it's because he dare not take his place with the common crowd. For his self-esteem has reached rock bottom. The Pharisee has turned up as he regularly does for a time of self-indulgence. He considers himself to be completely righteous and therefore despises the common worshippers. And what's more, he's going to tell them so. He's determined to boast about his goodness to all that can hear. Here we have a man who comes with a mountain of pride... And his mountain is Mount Everest. But in utter contrast, the tax collector is deeply moved by his own sinfulness. He also has come with a purpose. And a man in his position has only one reasonable response before God. A response of utterly, of utter humility and a cry for mercy. The Pharisee comes with a mountain of pride. The tax collector comes with a self-confessed 
burden of sin. Let's look at their prayers. The Pharisee has a prayer. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Then we have the contrast of the tax collector. The tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And just notice the difference also in the postures of these two. The Pharisee stands up with no reverence before God, and the tax collector, we're told, would not even look up to heaven. Such was his shame. But Jesus also says that he beats his chest. Now, such an action apparently is very rare for a man. We're familiar with watching the news and, and sadly with all the goings on in Syria uh, of, of recent times, we often see Syrian women who in their extreme grief have that awful wail and they beat their chests with their arms. You've seen that on the telly, but it's very rare to see men doing that. And so for the tax collector to be beating his chest in public is an alarming thing, it's an unusual thing, it's a shocking thing. We're probably not shocked because we don't see it that way. But for the people listening to Jesus, they would have been shocked by that gesture. And it's a gesture of extreme sorrow, of extreme grief and anguish, because his burden of sin was intolerable to him. And so the message that Jesus says is simple but profound again. I tell you that this man, and that's the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So again, Jesus directs us to look at ourselves and say, which of these two attitudes do we emulate in our prayers? Are we like the Pharisee, full of pride for all that we've done for God? Or are we more like the tax collector, humbled by our impure motives, saddened by our own selfishness that so often spoils our walk with the Lord. You see, as Christians, we should never lose sight of the place and importance of genuine repentance over our sin. But maybe we, in our comfortable Western culture, have to some extent forgotten the place of repentance in our praying. God is amazingly merciful. He's wonderfully gracious and to a degree beyond anything we could possibly imagine. And again, I want us to just step back for a moment and think about the parent-child relationship in our modern lives. I'm going to make a confession here, because I remember as a child doing something naughty. Um, me and my mates had made bows and arrows, which was absolutely fine. Uh, we used to shoot these arrows around. And then I noticed that a couple of days ago the road outside my house had been resurfaced and they'd left some lumps of the bitumen or the tarmac on the roadside. And I thought, I had this, this light bulb moment with my, my, my mates. I was about 10 years old, this light bulb moment. Let's not be satisfied with mere bows and arrows. Let's have flaming arrows. So I cooked up this tar and we set it alight and we dipped our arrows in it and we fired flaming arrows. And everything was fine until one of my friends had the temerity to fire an arrow at me. And uh, 
being as old as I am, I was in shorts, and this arrow stuck on the back of my leg. And I was in agony. I, I screamed with pain. It was, I've still got the scar, actually, to this day. But then I had this awful dilemma. I'd done a terribly naughty thing, a thing that, you know, should I really go and see my dad about it? But then I was in such pain, and I rushed to him, and I said, Dad, I've done a really stupid thing. I know I've done wrong. Don't be cross with me, but please help me. I'm in pain. What did my dad do? Did he scold me? No. He immediately dealt with the problem and got rid of the tar on my leg and comforted me and sat me down and calmed me down and he was kind and generous and gracious to me. Um, I hope that illustration helps us to understand how we should respond to our Heavenly Father with our shortcomings as Christian people before our Heavenly Father. That's the reason for that, not to tell you or confess that I was naughty all those years ago. But I wonder how often do we actually spend time where we pause upon our weaknesses? How frequently do we turn to God in sorrow and repentance with that plea, yes, I've done wrong, but please help me, Lord? Because that, in a sense, is the message that Jesus conveys in this parable. He wants us to be able to deal with our weaknesses, to deal with those things that are still parts of our sinful nature. Those things that we often prefer just to push to one side and not think about. And you know, again, we're not alone. We often think of Paul as being that amazing um, evangelist of the New Testament. And we have all his wonderful letters that he's left for us where God has conveyed such profound things through Paul's ministry. But you know, he said this when he wrote to Timothy. He said, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And we know that phrase, we know that quotation, don't we? But how often do we leave off the final bit of that uh, particular verse? Because what Paul goes on to say is this. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. That is Paul's confession of himself. He wasn't afraid to say these things. And you know, um, I'm going back to my friend Mr. Spurgeon because he also makes a, a lovely quotation. Quite a long one, but we'll go through it. He said, The prayer of the tax collector is my everyday prayer. I have what I may call a Sunday prayer, a prayer for high days and holidays, but my everyday, everyday prayer is the one that I can use all through the week. The one I can pick up when I cannot pick up anything else is the tax collector's prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And you know there's huge comfort in that. Just as there was huge comfort for me when I went to my dad and said, I'm really sorry. Um, But more seriously, you and I, as Christian people, we do do things wrong. There are things that we only confined to ourselves and in some awful way we we try to hide things but we know God sees all and you know taking those things to the Lord is such a wonderful relief and so this parable although addressed to the Pharisee at the time of the ministry of Jesus remains for you and for me it's there to remind us of who we are and how we should respond in the light of our weaknesses in the light of our failings before a holy God who we know is gracious and merciful and we call him our Heavenly Father.
You know, if any parable could help us to strip out our self-pride, then this is the one. So let us learn from the humility of the tax collector. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so in conclusion then, let us be prepared to examine ourselves seriously. Let us strive to seek an ever greater depth in our prayer lives. And let us come back time and time again to these two parables, which tell us two of the most fundamental and important facts of a healthy prayer life. Let us be encouraged to be like the widow. Let us never give up praying. And let us be humble like the tax collector, taking our weaknesses, confessing them before our Heavenly Father. For in our weakness, if we humble ourselves before our Heavenly Father, Jesus has already told us that he will lift us up. For whoever humbles himself or herself will be exalted. Well, a closing thought is our closing hymn. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege we carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Is this a rather quaint hymn? Is this too naive for our sophisticated 21st century knowledge. Absolutely not. This is reality. Remember the widow and the tax collector and ponder upon the messages that Jesus has given us and therefore may our prayer lives as a result grow both in depth and quality to the glory of our Lord and Saviour. Amen.